0: A couple weeks ago, many of you know I went on vacation to Illinois to do one of my best friend's weddings. And while I was there, I got together with my cousin's husband, who happened to be my very first college professor of philosophy. Weird coinky dink. He was connected to the family. They got married well after I was in that course. But because he was my professor and because I was playing golf with him for the first time, I didn't play well. I don't know if you've ever played golf or played with someone new, but I tend to get a little bit nervous. So the whole time I'm just chunking the ball, doing terrible, just playing terribly. We took the turn around the nine to go to the back nine and I decide, hey, it's no big deal. It's just golf. So I start getting comfortable and I try to do things to make myself comfortable. I breathe in through my nose, not through my mouth. I exhale more. I tell jokes, I laugh at his jokes. Yeah, it's no big deal. One thing I like to do is listen to music. And then Tom is his name. Tom says, you know, Jared, one of the things I love about golf, and now he's retired, he calls himself an old curmudgeon, and that's his description of himself. He goes, one of the things I love about golf is etiquette. Oh yeah? He goes, I love learning about the etiquette. And where did etiquette come from for golf? He goes, for the life of me, when he says that, I'm unzipping my bag. For the life of me, I'll never understand those people who bring those speakers and put them on their golf carts and listen to music while they're playing golf. In that moment, my hand was on a speaker in my golf bag meant to be brought out to loosen myself up. And I go, I go yeah, me either. I don't get it. <laughs> Etiquette. Norms and mores, social cues, right? This is stuff we think a lot about, we talk about it. Every community has norms. I learned that once from Father Dan at St. Luke's. He's the retired rector there. We used to have uh, one of our homeless friends, I'm not sure if he was homeless, but he was definitely on the margins. He used to come here to Peachtree and he scared me to death. Scared a lot of you too. Nine o'clock, he'd come marching all the way up to the front pew while I was preaching. Usually when you come late, where do you sit? In the back. But he would come right up to the front. And when we do All Saints Sunday, I remember I was reading the names of all those who died the year before. He sat right over there where nobody's sitting. Come back to church, y'all. Anyway, he sat right there. And while I was reading the names, he kept doing this to me. He had a teardrop tattoo right here. I don't know if you watched enough TV to know what that means, but it ain't good. He made people feel the EBGBs. Hmm. So I went to my Midtown clergy group and I said, what do you guys do with folks like this? Father Dan said, well, by the way, every pastor knew him because he went up and down the street. Father Dan said, every community has norms. And if you're not going to abide by our norms, like let's say, speaking out during a worship service or following girls around, making them feel uncomfortable, then I'll ask them to leave and I'll tell them that if you want to learn what our norms are, we can talk about that and then you can come and be a part of our church. I found that to be somewhat uh, gracious and somewhat relieving because you always feel guilty about wanting someone not to be present in the house of God, right? But yeah, there are norms, there's mores, there's a way to be, and people can learn what those things are. Etiquette. The word etiquette is a sort of lofty, spoken or unspoken, set of rules for a community. And what is it premised on? Expectation. What can I expect from you? What should you expect from me? It makes me think of King Arthur, the chivalric code in Japan. It reminds me of the Bushido war, way of the warrior, which is a code of being and life, not just warfare. makes me think more in southern terms of finishing school and cotillion. How many of you were forced to go to riches to learn dining etiquette when you were a child? Raise your hand if you ever had to do that one. A couple of you had to go to riches, huh? To learn how to eat around a table. They call that good home training, don't they? That's the phrase for it I've learned here in the South. I think about things like, how late can I wear my seersucker blazer or wear white in the year? Etiquette. But what of etiquette has Jesus something to say to us? Well, in the first bit of that lovely reading, what we hear is this really sound, practical advice. When you go to someone's house and you're having dinner with them, don't sit at the seat of honor. Now, I want you to imagine your own dining room for a moment. If you're, if you're blessed enough to have a dining room with a big table and think about the head table, the head seat. This is where grandma and grandpa sits. This is where mom and dad sit. This is the head spot. So the seats of honor would be right or left of that, Right? Well, don't go sitting there because you might find out that you're not the special guest. And if you have to be removed from that spot, eggs on your face. Pretty embarrassing. So go sit further down the table. And then if it happens that you are the person of interest, the distinguished guest, whatever that might mean, well, then you'll get invited up, but you won't be embarrassed Jesus is saying, don't assume that you're the person of honor. This summer at my buddy's wedding that I mentioned, they had an outdoor reception by a barn near a field, and the tables were outside. Now, where does the bride and groom sit at that that big wedding party table? Where do they sit? Do they sit at the end? They sit in the middle. So the bride and groom had their spots in the middle, and then I was next to the groom because logically... I was the best man. Thank you, Dee. And on the side of the bride would be the matron of honor. So I have my chair, and Colleen has her chair next to mine, and I put my jacket on my chair to go and do whatever, greet people, do whatever I was doing. And I noticed one of her bridal party who really liked to be in the thick of things. I know a little something about that. I don't like sitting at the end of the table either. I like to be right in the middle of the conversation. And I heard her say that. "Ah, Oh, I don't want to be over there. I want to talk to everyone. I want to sit right here. And she put her stuff down right next to me on my left, which is where the groom was to sit. Sheepishly, but nicely, I tried to say to her, ah, I'm not sure that's your chair. Oh, yeah? Whose is it? It's the groom's. It's the groom's tried not to laugh when I said it. You could see her face turn a little red with embarrassment. Because she chose a great place to sit and was kind of called out for it. What Jesus is saying implies here, my friends, humility. But at this point in the teaching that we've read this morning, you don't have to be particularly humble to follow his advice. It's just smart advice. It seems a little shrewd and a little cunning to know this just so that you can avoid embarrassment or looking too big for your britches. But is that the point? Is that what you're supposed to take home from today, the thing that you already knew? Perhaps not. For Jesus' second point, which hinges from this first one, takes it a bit further and it's a bit more direct. It focuses on prestige and privilege and the way we value other people. Jesus tells the people, don't simply invite high-profile guests to your dinner or your lunch or your party just because you think you're going to get an invitation in return. Don't invite people who are highfalutin so that you get a highfalutin invitation yourself. Yet, to me, that actually seems like part of the key ingredient in what I call polite society. It's networking, isn't it? Isn't it wise and social to make good connections with people? Isn't that the way you find yourself in the door? Hmm. One time I was doing a society wedding. That's what we call them when we find folks that say that they want to train as large as Princess Diana to go down the back of the the sanctuary here. And I'm talking to this couple. I'm doing premarital counseling. And I'm telling them all the good stuff. I'm talking about uh, strategies for conflict. I'm talking to them about intimacy and how to have boundaries with your families of origin and your in-laws. I'm telling them gold. I'm just giving them gold. One of the funny things, by the way, is I always tell the couple, I'm giving you gold here. I just tell them straight out, this is true. And they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." And the bride, she she smacks her fiance on the forearm and says, uh, "Pardon me, pastor." Says, "Okay." She says, "Can do you have a pen?" I like, "Oh my gosh, it's so golden." They realize it's golden. She's going to get out a pen and she's going to write this down. Proof of God's existence. They're going to take this to heart. So they get the pen out, and then she says, "Um, Honey, don't forget to invite the so-and-sos, because if we get them to come to our wedding, maybe we'll get an invitation to their so-and-so thing. Crestfallen was I at that moment, but that's so true. It happens from time to time. We think about who we want to invite to our home because maybe that will curry favor with someone else or them at another point in time. And Jesus says, don't do that. Why? There's no grace there. There's absolutely no grace there. And there's no gift offered when you do that. It is a gift is a gift if it's only a gift of expectation. But it's not truly a gift that's pure without expecting something in return. There was a woman in this congregation, she's no longer with us, this is why I can bring it up, who told me that she helped a young person in our church, and she was never going to do it again, and I inquired as to why, and she was rather irritated because She helped this young person, and this young person um, said thank you, but every day she told me for a couple weeks she went out to that mailbox looking for a thank you note. And it hadn't come. So no longer was she ever going to help young people anymore. I understand thank you cards are part of our culture, they're part of our society, they're part of what we do, but is that the reason we help? What would it look like to have a dinner, a luncheon, a party, or just sheer festivity without thinking of privilege or power climbing or expectations? That question alone is worth all of us going home and pondering. What would our life look like without thinking about prestige, power, getting ahead and having expectations on others? What would we do differently? Let me pause and say we're going to do a brief interlude to explain a little historical stuff. I'm going to come down there and join you because I prefer it down there today. Is that okay with you? If it's not, I don't care that's a joke. There's once a period of time in human history that we often call the ancient regime. There's a French way of saying ancien regime. I don't know. I can't do French at all. Okay. And that's the world where the chivalric codes come into play. That's the world of kings and monarchs. That's the world where we don't have direct access to each other or to God. Everything we have in our life is mediated by the monarch. So God appoints a family of monarchs and they represent God to us. And then there's the church. And then our relationship to God is mediated through the monarch and through the church only. No direct access. And my relationship to all of you would be through the monarchy. So in a world like that, what you have is a series of class issues. Classes are created, right? You might be noble. The nobility have many different classes. You might be landed gentry. You might be a duke or Dutch or whatever, you know, Duchess. Or you may be a serf, but you occupy your space and you stay in your lane for a reason. And if you are of the upper crust, if you are given these noble gifts from God, then etiquette becomes the form. You begin to dress a certain way, speak a certain way, eat and drink a certain way because you are now no longer you. You're also a symbol. You're a symbol to society. And so the people who work your land, if I'm a Lord and I have a piece of property, a town under my care, I'm the symbol for them. So etiquette comes. We start building up these ideas about what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do and proper form and everything else. This goes from for hundreds and hundreds of years right up until when? Two world wars, like a wrecking ball, just comes crashing in, knocking it over. Because you start hearing protests in the streets before the wars about uh, equality, about fairness. And so you have the desire that people have to be communist, or socialist, or Marxist or capitalistic, democratic, laissez-faire people. Take your pick, it's all, the same. it's all the same thing. All it is is an attempt to get rid of a hierarchy and flatten it out so everyone has the same kind of chance or opportunity. So then what happens? Because that happened, and our country chose to go the way of laissez-faire, uh, democratic republicanism, right? Capitalism. Everyone so-called has the same rights as everyone else to pick themselves up. And let me ask you this question. Has it made it any more equitable? Maybe some, but are we truly equal all times, everywhere? No. We still deal with a lot. But in a society like that, the one that we have, the one that we're born into, the one that we're raised in, the one that we protect, guess what? Etiquette now no longer is a hierarchical given from God. It is something we agree on. We agree that you shouldn't wear white after Labor Day, except for I think that's changing because a commercial told me it was changing, which that was a hilarious comment. Go think about that, if nothing else. A commercial told me it was changing. What drives our values? So we agree on it, which means this, the norms, the etiquette, the values that we have are fashionable and they change. But here we have a kingdom ethic and kingdom etiquette from the kingdom of God. Jesus says, instead of just inviting the people that look like you or the people that you want to look like, take the poor, take the disenfranchised, take the the lame, the beggar, take those on the margins and you invite them to sit at the head spot at the table. Wow. Turn the world upside down. Jesus asked for nothing less than turning the world upside down. He identified so strongly with the disenfranchised He came from the world of the disenfranchised. And I know it's easy to say. And I'll confess to you that when we have a homeless friend show up at church and come to a potluck lunch, and they're sitting there, I'll confess to you. I'm not excited about sitting with them, spending time with them. I'd rather talk with people I know that I'm comfortable with. So that's confessional. It's hard But no one ever got into anything worth doing if it were easy. This is hard because it matters, and it's the meaning of life. So what would it look like if we had a festivity moment, a party, a luncheon, a dinner, and we didn't just invite people that would give us a leg up, but we just invited people because they're people, and we treated them like kings and queens. Because that's how God has treated us, especially when we come to the table. Yeah, we could talk about the poor. We could talk about mental health. We could talk about all kinds of different ways that we disenfranchise or alienate each other. But let me just bring it home in a very personal, personal way. Remember I told you at the beginning of the sermon about my my cousin's husband who I played golf with? Well, that cousin is actually my dad's cousin. Her name's Diana. Hi, Diana. I'm going to make you watch this. So I guess that's first cousin once removed. I think it's the proper way of talking about it. We just call it second cousins. At any rate, she was driving my great aunt and my great uncle from Florida back to Illinois. And they they basically, Aunt Carol and Uncle Lee are basically my grandparents now. And um, they're getting to the point where they need help. And so uh, my cousin drove them up. And on the way through, they stopped in Atlanta They visited the church. They came to our home for lunch and everything. And we were just talking about the old stories. I was hearing about my grandfather who died when he was 43 years old. So I'm turning 41. This really scares me. But uh, he died when he was 43 years old. I was just two. And uh, so I didn't really know him. But he was at one time the most, one of the most famous radio DJs in all of Chicago. And I've heard him speak on the radio. I listened to him a lot. He's a very smooth operator in terms of the way he spoke. So I asked my cousin, I asked my aunt and uncle, I said, was was my grandfather, whose name was Robert or Bob, was he a smooth operator? Like just in life, right? And my cousin, Diana, she said, oh yeah. Apparently he came into town Flew into town in his convertible, and they had a family wedding, and she was at the point in her life where she was in that adolescent period where you don't feel like you're home in your own skin. You remember those days? And that's where she was. She was sitting there by herself. She said she felt awkward and alone. And here comes Uncle Bob walking up to her, my grandfather. And he says, come on, darling. Gives her his arm And they walked into the wedding, and he treated her like the date the entire night. He spun her around the dance floor. He ate dinner with her. He asked her about her own life. He got involved, and I could see tears welling up in her eyes about how he was caring for little old her, as she thought. What is etiquette for the kingdom of God? to invest ourselves in the way God invested in us. To be like us, to be for us, and to lift us up.